Welcome, everyone. This is Mike Grimes. I'm joined again today with Pat Abendroth, and today we want to talk about Zionism, and we want to talk about Zionism as it relates to hermeneutics, how it relates to reading and interpreting Scripture. Uh, Maybe not something you've thought about when you hear the word Zionism, how you read the Scriptures and understand them, but that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Pat, why don't you just briefly tell us what is Zionism and how, how does that relate to reading and interpreting scripture. Before I answer, Mike, I want to ask you what you think of when you hear the word Zionism. <laughs> it, I don't think of Zion Williamson, the basketball player, but... Who, who I'm a fan of, by the way. <laughs> Zionism, I often hear that word, I think, of Israel, the Jews, uh, the nation, and uh, those who are uh, looking for the success and uh, fulfillment of Israel and their promises God made to them. That's Good. what I think of. Yeah. I, I think in similar terms, I think of Israel, the Jews, it's Mount Zion after all. So, and when I think politically, I have positive thoughts when it comes to Zionism. I know it's complicated, it's loaded, uh, controversial. So right from the get-go, I know we're being critical of a certain kind of hermeneutic, uh, the hermeneutics of Zionism. I want to stress at the beginning uh, that we're talking about Christian Zionism. We're talking about uh, a certain way of reading scripture that is Israel-centric instead of Christ-centric, if you will. So when I read a typical definition uh, of Zionism, I often can affirm it because it's speaking in terms of 21st century Jewish people having a right to live in Israel. I'm all for that. I am pro-Israel as a 21st century American. Uh, I love Jewish people. I pray for their salvation, just like I pray for Gentiles. I've been to Israel a bunch of times, plan to keep going. It's a wonderful place. Uh, So when I read this definition, for example, a Zionist is one who believes the Jewish people have a right to live sovereignly and securely in their historic homeland. I agree with that. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. We'd agree with that 100%. So let's be clear. We don't want to be accused of being anti-Semitic. Right. Uh, I'm probably part, part Jewish, as a matter of fact, so I'm not against myself pretty pretty much for myself. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about something different. We're talking about going backward when it comes to reading the Bible. What do you mean going backward? How would you go backward? Meaning Christians affirm progressive revelation. So what what we uh, begin with, it progresses. It, it moves forward. We go from Israel to Christ. We go from Israel, Israel who's called a son, uh, to the son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christian Zionism, we believe, if we believe that, which we don't, but in Christian, this is really important. According to Christian Zionism, uh, God has made promises to Israel that include a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. And with a rebuilt temple, it's not just for decoration. It's not just for tourism. It's a rebuilt temple that will have a reinstituted priesthood. And if you have a priesthood, what else do you have? You have sacrifices, animal sacrifices. So again, Christian Zionism, this, this approach to reading and interpreting scripture believes there are promises made that are yet to be fulfilled where there will be a rebuilt temple, there will be priests, and they will be doing animal sacrifices, and there will therefore be a new distinction between Jew and Gentile because it will be for the Jews, not the Gentiles. And so 
that's going backward. Yeah, I say I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but thinking going backwards, that as you're talking about those things, it it sounds a lot like we're talking about Christians who would say eventually we're going to go back to the way it was in Old Testament times. Is that what you're getting at? When you had the Jewish people, the the, the chosen nation, God's people, and they had the temple, they had priests, they had sacrifices, and all these things that they made sure to uphold and follow. And then you had the Gentiles, the pagans who were outside. And you're saying to go backwards is to say at some point there's going to be a return to that? Yes. So that would be Christian Zionism. And maybe we shouldn't be using this label because it's so loaded and controversial. Um, I'm just trying to avoid the D word uh, as oh, long as we D can. Word. The D word. So really we're talking about dispensationalism. Right. Uh, we're not, this isn't a critique of dispensationalism uh, at in a holistic sense, but dispensationalism as it relates to rebuilt temple, priests, sacrifices, renewed distinction between Jew and Gentile. Uh, that's really what we're critiquing, but I maybe on, on purpose want to be a, a bit more subtle and yet a bit more provocative. I'm saying they are Christian Zionists and it is hugely problematic. And so we have a list of problems with Christian Zionism. Uh, and so that's what we're going to work through today. And I think you've got the list. You have my list and we can start working our way through them. Yeah. So we want to work through eight uh, problems of Christian Zionism. So what is the problem with being a Christian Zionist, reading scripture in this way, thinking about going back? Uh, we want to understand and we want to help our listeners understand why is this a problem? Because I think there are many people who would um, tend towards this and they're not even aware that they may tend toward this. So we want to bring it to mind, uh, help you think through it, and uh, think wisely about it so that when you're reading the scriptures, we're thinking rightly, we're interpreting the scriptures rightly, um, and making sure to not be Christian Zionists looking to move backwards. So the first uh, problem with Christian Zionism uh, is that Zionism denies progressive revelation that culminates with Christ. Zionism denies progressive revelation that culminates with Christ. And you briefly mentioned this, but talk a little bit more about progressive revelation, how Zionism denies that. Yes. So when we look at Hebrews 1, which is a really important text in this whole discussion, and anytime we're talking about, talking about progressive revelation, uh, we, we go to Hebrews 1, and it reads uh, as follows. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I have to pause just for a moment because I was preaching through this last Sunday. And so I was told that one uh, young boy in the congregation looked at his dad and said, God spoke to you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, because God spoke to our fathers. So anyway, I, I digress. But so we have God who speaks, God who reveals himself in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant world as well. And then verse two says, but in these last days... Uh, so we have progress, we've moved forward, but we have finality, we have climax, we have apex. The text says so importantly and so wonderfully, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. And so we want to stress here, and it needs to be stressed throughout the book of Hebrews. He's spoken, yes, but he's spoken finally climactically by his son, who is none other, none other than heir of all things. And I'm accusing 
Christian Zionism as denying that in practice, because if culmination happens with Christ, if climax happens with Christ, why do we have to go backward uh, to focus on Israel uh, when actually they were anticipating him? Uh, Mm. He's not anticipating them. Uh, They are anticipating him. They were a son. Uh, and he is the son. Uh, let's not be let's not be regressive. Let's be progressive as we read progressive revelation. And that's what I'm getting at. And I think this leads into the next problem with Christian Zionism. When you say that if he's the the climax, the heir of all things, uh, the one in whom all these things uh, find their fulfillment and the substance. Uh, brings us to another problem with Zionism, and it's that, number two, Zionism demands that we reject the sufficiency of Christ. Indeed, it does. Uh, and who, what Christian would affirm that? No Christian right, would. Right, nobody would. But let's stop and think and not lose our minds when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Uh, we want to realize that Christ is the ultimate priest, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and he's the ultimate sacrifice, not a slaughtered animal. Uh, Those were meant to look forward to him, but he's the sufficient sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. Uh, We don't need a rebuilt temple with uh, sacrifices now that he has come. We don't need that in the Middle East. We don't need it anywhere. Uh, And we know this to be true because, again, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10 is near and dear to every Christian's heart. Let's just Mm -hmm. keep it in mind when we're interpreting uh, how we view Israel. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. The three important words come then, once for all. Verse 12 then says, When Christ had offered for all time, again, sufficiency, once for all, then for all time, a single sacrifice, that's sufficiency, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. So work done, sufficiency again. Verse 14 then reads, for by a single offering, sufficiency again, he has sufficiency again, perfected for all time. There he, he says it again, sufficiency, those who are being sanctified and I I can't get that out of my mind. That has to influence, as a Christian, the way I would view someone who tells me there has to be a different priest. There has to be more animal sacrifices. There has to be a rebuilt temple, never mind the fact that Jesus says he is the temple. Right, yeah. And yet... Here, here we are um, forgetting our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, forgetting our Christology, our doctrine of Christ, uh, when it comes to supposedly um, reading the promises of God uh, that supposedly indicate that there will be a future rebuilt temple with animal sacrifices, with priests, as Christian Zionism insists. So if you are looking for a rebuilt temple, if you're looking for the reinstitution of animal sacrifices and you're looking for the priesthood to uh, come back in the sense that you're talking about, I mean, it really does. It, it takes what Christ has done and erases it in a sense and says that that wasn't it, that wasn't enough. We're going to go back to the system. I mean, how do they square that? How do, how do they square that that's an okay thing? I mean, is it, well, these are going to be memorial sacrifices, or these are going to be yes, something yes. just to honor what you Christ grew, is? You grew up in dispensationalism. I sure did. <laughs> yeah, memorial sacrifices. So supposedly, uh, it's a problem for Christian Zionism, because 
they're going to say, yes, all of these things are future. Ezekiel 45 is to be taken literally hmm. and futuristically and as something God will be pleased with. Uh, and so then we, we give pushback and say, well, wait a second. You, you really want priests? You, you, you really want sacrifices in light of Hebrews 10? And they say, oh, yes, we have to, to have a faithful reading of Scripture. Uh, we're going to go backward. We're going to go back to all of those things. And so when we say, well, well what do those sacrifices do? Uh, a dispensationalist would say, well, they're memorial sacrifices, uh, as you did. Never mind the fact that if we're going to take that as something God is pleased with, and literally, uh, that text actually says on at least three occasions uh, to make atonement for them, to make atonement to make atonement. And so if you want to take that text literally, uh, as we're supposedly told to do, they're not memorial, they're atoning. Hmm. And so it actually creates an even bigger problem. Yeah, I think it's important to think about if you're going to look for those sacrifices and say they're important and they're just going to be a memorial sacrifice. I mean, Ezekiel 45 says it, just like you said, to make atonement, to make atonement. That doesn't doesn't gel. Doesn't no, square. No. You and, can't be doing that. It rejects Christ's sufficiency, and that's that's a big big problem. And historically, Christians have not held that view. It is a, a kind of new, nouveau, bizarre kind of view, and it's for good reason because Christians have uh, understood that there's only one ultimate atoning sacrifice for sins. So yeah. now we're not really trying to deal with Ezekiel 45 in this podcast, but the, you know, is it a prophecy uh, that these things are going to happen, but it not is not pleasing to the Lord uh, is uh, Ezekiel using uh, language that he doesn't mean to be taken literally, but he's using the language that he's familiar with uh, and it's looking forward to Christ. There are different options, uh, which really aren't the option. It's not in our purview, what we're talking about sure, now, yeah. but um, to, to insist on literal um, is not something that even the Zionists do themselves as Christian Zionists. Yeah. So this second problem that we've been talking about here briefly, it demands that we reject the sufficiency of Christ, uh, kind of leads into the third one we've hinted at. Um, and the third problem we have with Christian Zionism um, is that Zionism demands that we undo the work of Christ— uh, so we just talked about how it rejects the sufficiency of Christ and his once-for-all sacrifice, Hebrews 10. Uh, talk a little bit about how Zionism then demands that we undo the work of Christ. It, it undoes the work of Christ on a different sort of level because between us and God, atoning sacrifice, we, we covered that. But the work of Christ does uh, many things. It also brings reconciliation among peoples. Hmm. And so in Ephesians 2.14, we learn that there is reconciliation, there is restoration between peoples, between Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And it says in verse 14, he himself is our peace. And we could think peace with God in Ephesians for sure, but there's also peace on a uh, horizontal level, right? right? Yeah. And so it says he has, he excuse me, who has made us both Jew and Gentile in the context one and has broken down. And here's really what I want us to emphasize. He's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So through the work of Christ, the wall that divides Jew and Gentile is broken down. It's taken down. It's destroyed. It's eradicated. No more. The church is made up of all nations, Jew and Gentile, as all Christians know. Right. And so 
and by the way, dispensationalists know this. And so they'll say, yeah, that applies to the church. Hmm. And so, but there's a future for national Israel, not the Jews, uh, but for national geopolitical religious Israel. And God wants it to be that way, but that creates a problem. Uh, it creates a huge problem in light of Ephesians two two fourteen. Um, what, what, what problem would that create? Creates a problem. Now, now we have two people of God, right? Two people groups of yes, God. Yes. And here it's saying one, it's the one new man of God. The the dividing wall has been taken out and broken down. And now if you're trying to uphold the nation, the people of Israel as a people of God that are going to have promises fulfilled to them, but now we have those who are thinking New Testament Gentile believers having promises that are going to be fulfilled. Now we have we have two peoples of we have, God. We have two peoples, peoples of God, and we also have kind of, a, again, a rewind. Yeah. So if there's a, a unique future for national Israel, geopolitical, religious, they're, they're isolated once again from non-Jews. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is Jesus Christ, our great Savior and Lord, tore that down. And to insist on Christian Zionism is to to really be anti-Christ, if I want to be prov- hmm. provocative, because we have to rebuild the separation that Christ broke down. And so I like to say, what God has separated, let no man <laughs> put back together in the wrong sort of sense. So uh, that that's a actually an, an important matter in all of this. And I think thoughtful Christians, when you bring this up, oftentimes I've found give reason for pause. Mm-hmm. They see it as reason for pause. Like, Oh, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Um, we, we no Christian wants to, to attack and destroy the work of Christ, but your eschatological view, your view of the future yeah. might be doing that very thing. Absolutely. You're letting that be the driving force in the way you're understanding these things and you, you're not even aware of it. I think that's oftentimes yeah. times the case. So hopefully our listeners, even though we're being negative and critical in all of this, understand that we're trying to do so to shock people out of a, what would be kind of an anti-Christ posture yeah. that no Christian would, would do on purpose. Right. So uh, moving on to the next problem of Zionism, uh, thinking about, you know, if we did have... Uh, a return to the old, um, and a desire to return to the old, or looking for that, uh, we see that Zionism, it fails to see the old covenant world as typological. Typolo- dropping big multisyllabic words, that's, typological, that's but it actually is a, a simple idea. When we say typological, we're talking about uh, types. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible talks about types and shadows. So in the old covenant world, we have shadows, uh, and then Colossians two says the substance belongs to Christ. What, what's an example of a shadow? Just so everybody understands what we mean by a shadow. So if we think in terms of shadows, think in terms of that whole, think of the temple. We've been talking right. about that yep. animal sacrifices, priesthood, all of these things, uh, find the substance, not the shadow in Christ, because he is the, the great Passover lamb. Uh, he is the ultimate high priest. So that's what we mean by shadows. Uh, that's what we mean by types, the antitype, which sounds negative, but actually that would be the fulfillment. That would be the substance. Uh, and so we don't want to go, we don't want to go backward and we don't want to read the old covenant as the ultimate. Hmm. 
We want to read the old covenant as that's what we mean by typological. So Israel, land, temple, priesthood, sacrifice, all of these are good and important. Uh, God instituted them, but not to be end game, uh, not to be the ultimate they were anticipating. And to, to, to see them as the ultimate would be regressive. Um, let's not read, let's not think of Jesus Christ as the type in the shadow right. with the substance belonging to the nation right. uh, or it's backward. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've been in your office before, Mike, and seen pictures of your family. Uh, so your wife, Angie, is, is in the picture and it, it wouldn't be wrong for you to be staring at the picture of your wife. Uh, but if she showed up here at the church and in your, in your office and walked into the room and you ignored her because you were staring at her picture, <laughs> that, that would, that would be pretty whack. Yeah. That's not exactly, <laughs> that's not what you want to do. Right. Cause right. you have her actually there to look at a picture. That's absurd. Yeah. And even more absurd would be if you sent her out of your office. Yeah. Could you go now while I look at this picture of you? Yes. Yes. That's crazy. It's you know, totally this makes crazy. me think of, you know, we've talked about Hebrews, but Hebrews nine, where it's talking about the temple sacrifices, it's talking about uh, the regulations for worship and the earthly place of holiness. There's a tent, and it talks about all these things and how this was all established and set up in the old covenant world, these types, these shadows, even of how they approached God. Um, But then it says in verse 11 of Hebrews 9, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. So thinking Christ, the substance, the greater, more perfect high priest, Interesting. Yeah. Greater, more perfect. Yeah. Why, why are we going to go to the, to the shadows? Why would we go back? No, it doesn't make sense. You were looking up that passage on your phone and I thought you were texting your wife or something. Since <laughs> you I, made the podcast. Since I brought her up. So no, that's a, that's a great text to bring up. And once again, I think if Christians would read the book of Hebrews thoughtfully and just carry what they learn there to different offerings when it comes to views of Israel, Hmm. um, they would see it differently. They would be more likely to go evangelize their Jewish friends and tell them about how great Jesus the Messiah is than somehow suggesting that they should be isolated on their own, uh, distinct from the church. They need to be part of the church. And let's just even think and remember, the church is called the body of Christ. Literally, we mean body of Messiah. Hmm. And so... Of, of all people, uh, Jewish people should be welcome in the body of yeah, Messiah absolutely. because it's the body of Christ. Yeah. Ready to do the next one? We're ready. Let's move on to number five here. Uh, problems with Christian Zionism. Um, that is that Zionism fails to see land promises fulfilled. Land promises. So that's a that's a great thing to think about. You see promises of land in the Old Testament. Yes. Uh how does that relate to all this? Zionism, you were saying, fails to see that those promises have been fulfilled. Which seems kind of strange because the very thing that they're insisting on is that the land promises be fulfilled. And so what we're suggesting and uh, saying is, well, you don't need to look for them to be fulfilled, at least um, in one sense, because they have been fulfilled. And so I always like to point out that Joshua 21 verse 45 says, that's Joshua 21, 45, not the word of not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. 
all came to pass. Hmm. So at least on one level, uh, when Joshua led the people into the land, uh, there, it all came to pass. And so there has been fulfillment. So when I'm told that there has to be fulfillment, right. I say, indeed, there does have there to be. There does. And there has been. <laughs> so there is that. Now, to be, um, we need to elaborate a little bit because yeah. there is another sense in which uh, the land promises need to be fulfilled, but not in the sense that Christian Zionists insist. How is it then that it needs to be filled? Well, when we read Hebrews again, Hebrews seems to be the answer book it does. It to really all does. of these things. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually remember when I was a dispensationalist talking to people who were patient and kind with me, but they said, have, have you, have you read the book of Hebrews? <laughs> and I had, but I guess I was, I wasn't open to, to such thinking about these things, yeah. but it does come back to that because Hebrews does say in chapter 12, verse 22, you, this, this is talking to Christians, believers in the first century, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so there is a sense in which when you become a believer, you, you've come to that place, mm-hmm. to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so um, there, there is that. And so, and, and we would say in light of Hebrews 9, the, it's a better yeah. Zion, yep. uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And then if we go ahead to chapter 13, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city here on earth, but we seek the city that is to come. Hmm. So when we do theology and we try to have all of this fit together as other thoughtful Christians before of, before us have, they would say the Joshua 21 fulfillment is a near fulfillment. Maybe we would even, even say a typological fulfillment mm. because it's not the ultimate. Not the ultimate land, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. There is something greater. So it's, it's fulfilled in the short run, um, the, the, the near fulfillment in a typological sense, a typological sense, and yet far fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment, that even that was looking forward to something greater. It was looking forward to what Hebrews 12, Hebrews 13 talk about. There is a heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above, uh, and that's the lasting city hmm. that will last forever. And that's the, that's the one we want to be looking for, uh, not one, again, uh, limited to the Middle East, uh, susceptible to destruction yet again, we're looking for something far greater. Yeah. I just keep thinking, it goes back to even the example you used of a picture of someone. You don't want to look at the great substance, the reality, because you're so busy looking at that picture. I mean, to think that you're so focused and worried on a temporal land and we have to have the land when there is this lasting city that is to come a heavenly a greater more perfect i mean you would i mean you hear that and you think of course i'm going to be about that of course i'm going to be about christ the greater more perfect high priest of course i'm going to be about these things but this stuff creeps in it I mean, definitely creeps in and we're not saying that um god doesn't like creation or physical things mm-hmm. as a matter of fact he does he made it um, so when we're talking about heavenly, we're not talking about this ethereal, right. lacking substance. The Lord is going to, to there is going to be a great recreation hmm. uh, with a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but that's different than what Christian Zionism is talking about. Right. Well, let's move on to a sixth 
problem with Christian Zionism. And a sixth problem is that Zionism fails to see that the promises to Abraham are realized in Christ. Oh, I'm glad we're getting to this one because back to the land thing, yeah. oftentimes um, well-meaning people have been told again and again and again, or say again and again and again, that since Abraham, uh, the promise to Abraham includes land, uh, that there must be land fulfillment. Thus, we have Christian Zionism slash dispensationalism. And until we have a rebuilt temple and until we have priests and animal sacrifices in the Middle East... Um, we don't have fulfillment. God doesn't keep his promises and, uh, we have to be literal. So we have to have him fulfill his promises. And, and I, I want to say we do have to have him fulfill his promises. Absolutely. And we just looked at an example of that with land, uh, near and far fulfillment Mm -hmm. or ultimate fulfillment. But Galatians is, um, also helpful here, not just Hebrews, um, Galatians Remember, this is inspired interpretation uh, of the Old Testament. Mm. So Old Testament is inspired, so is new. But Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit in Galatians 3, interprets the fulfillment of those promises for us perfectly. And he says this in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Mm. So there we have something quite amazing. And the amazing thing about that is it's made ultimately to Christ. And if it's made to Christ, then if we're united to Christ by faith, we, we're inheritors. This is realized in Christ. And what we want to do is trust in Christ. And so all of those blessings and benefits come to us. Mm. Let's connect dots, new Jerusalem from above better. It's all ours because it's all Christ. Mm. So, you know, here, here, what we end up having is the need to read the Bible. Like we've talked about before and interpret the Bible like Christians Um, And that means reading the whole because we believe in one ultimate divine author. And so we're going to read the new in light of the old, but also the old in light of the new. Uh, And by doing so, we, we, we won't be Zionists. Uh, We'll be Christians and read the Bible in a Christ centered way, not an Israel centered way. Yeah. uh, At least not ultimately, which does bring us to number seven. Yeah. And the seventh one is that Zionism refuses to read the Old Testament in light of the new. Which is pretty bizarre. Every time we talk about this around uh, church, people think it sounds bizarre, Mm -hmm. but at least in the academy and in um, like in seminaries and colleges uh, that are Zionistic, um, this is actually a a big thing. It's Mm. a, it's a huge no, no uh, to read the old in light of the new. Uh, when in fact it shouldn't be a huge no-no and historically it wasn't a huge no-no. Right. So um, let, let's just be reasonable Christians and, and read the whole Bible and think it's all God's word and it will culminate with Christ. And we have it on good inspired authority, the meaning of such things. Yep. Yeah. So Important to make sure we understand scripture as a whole, not as two separate pieces. Uh, that should not interact whatsoever. Yes, but I, but I would want to say that if I if my ultimate agenda 
is to have a future for national, and I keep saying it this way, national Israel, geopolitical, religious. Mm. If that is my ultimate goal, then I am for sure going to tell people to not read the old in light of the new because it's a deal breaker. Right. It, it will, it will undermine Christian Zionism. Yeah. Um, and so, but what, why, why wouldn't we want to be uh, honoring to Christ who is the, the sum and substance, right. uh, the heir of all things? It just baffles the mind to do otherwise. Yeah, it really does. Let's look at a final eighth problem of Christian Zionism. Uh, it is that uh, Christian Zionism is a failure to see the ascension of Jesus as more than just going from earth to heaven. When you think of the ascension, hopefully you do think of Jesus going from earth to heaven. Right. He's ascending. So how is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, <laughs> but it's there's, there's more to it than that because uh, classically the doctrine of the ascension of Jesus, and not just classically, biblically, is not just a, a, a transferring from one place to another. Mm. It's... It's him going to the throne. He's mm. ascending the throne. It's a, it's a royalty kind of mm. thing. And when you go and you go to a throne, you ascend uh, as the king, you rule and you reign. Wait a minute. So you're saying that Jesus is ascended to the throne where he's ruling and reigning. At the right hand of the Father. That is indeed what I'm saying. Okay. So what about he's supposed to be ruling and reigning coming up some day in the future. I think he will be ruling and reigning someday coming up in the future, but he's ruling and reigning now and he will return and continue to rule and reign. Uh, but I, I, for the longest time thought Ascension is just one place to another. Yeah. I would have affirmed seated at the right hand of the father, but I, I didn't really think about it and I'll claim, uh, responsibility for my own ignorance. But when you read, for example, Acts chapter two, it says in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this great thing on the day of Pentecost, but it, he, Peter's talking about ascension, right hand of God. And then in verse 34, it says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is enthronement. Mm. This is installation. This is ruling and reigning kind of talk. Uh, and, and we've got to have that in our minds that he's gone to the throne. He is seated. He is installed. And we have to know that he's made both Lord and Christ, as Peter says in verse 36, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm. And that messes with Zionism because Zionism says... We, we have to have him ruling and reigning someday in the future right. when, in fact, he is ruling and reigning now, and that can have effects on your view of what must be done in the future. Right. Must, yeah. must, so. so we're saying that the king has been installed. The king is on his throne. In, indeed, we are saying that. Contrary to what one Christian Zionist uh, I read yesterday said, uh, he, was asked, he posed the question, is the Messiah on his throne? And he responded and said, no, mm. Wow. which I, I can't believe people are willing again to, to do such destruction to their Christology yeah. in the name of trying to carry the party line, uh, to promote Christian Zionism 
what Christian, I, it just blew my it, mind. That doesn't make sense. What Christian would say the Messiah is not on his throne in light of Acts chapter two. Yeah. And so in Acts, Acts chapter two is connecting the dots from Psalm 110. So I think if we did a better job, and I'm going to try to do this myself even, a better job at teaching the significance and the meaning of the ascension uh, of Christ, uh, we would we would help people greatly mm. at, at avoiding this bad hermeneutical practice that we're calling Israel-centric reading, even of the New Testament, uh, instead of a Christ-centered reading. Uh, ascension is critical. And this this is why I think thoughtful Christians, when they talk about the work of Christ, they talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Yeah, because it's fulfilling the fact that he's the Messiah. He's yeah. the ruling and reigning, delivering king. Um, not someday, but he actually accomplished his work and it's shown in his ascension. Yeah. And we know as... Uh, they're told in the book of Acts that he would return in the same way that he came. And we long for that day uh, when he comes back and rules and reigns. So one more uh, final thing that our listeners may be thinking about, you know, we've talked a lot about Israel and the nation of Israel and the Jews and talking about not reading our Bible with them as the focus and the substance. Um, you know, what about Romans 9 through 11 and the promise that we read there in Romans of a future for the Jews? Well, I think you said it the way I'd want to say it. They're a future for the Jews, hmm. um, the, the people of Israel, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is a promise that God has made for national Israel. As I keep stressing uh, in the Middle East, geopolitical, religious, all of those things that they were. Uh, I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind there. Uh, I think he has uh, in mind, and this is somewhat controversial even in Reformed kind of circles, uh, but uh, I think what he has in mind is there is a future for Jewish people uh, where, according to God's sovereign purposes, there's going to be a great ingathering of Jewish people uh, and they will be converted and they will be converted uh, not to be isolated from mm, the church, yeah. but they'll become part of the body of Messiah. They would be part of that one new man in part Christ. Part of one new man, yes. Yeah. So future for the, for the Jews? Yes, I, I would say future for the Jews in the church, in Christ, right. uh, the, the one who's the heir of all things. So that, that's a different reading of things. So sometimes uh, dispensationalists suggest that uh, people don't, it, that's all uh, spiritualized, allegorized, and it's not referring to actual Jews. Uh, when in fact commentators, whether it be John Murray and his classic Romans commentary, I believe would say future for Jewish people. Hmm. Uh, and he would not be a dispensationalist or Zionist. I believe that's probably Michael Horton's view as well. So future for the Jews, amen. Future for uh, this Political organization, no, uh, or I shouldn't say organization, you know what I mean. So what are some resources we could recommend to our listeners uh, who are interested in maybe learning a little bit more about this? Well, I'm not trying to be cute, but once again, when you read Matthew's gospel account, hmm. it's amazing the connections that are made by Jesus and also pointed out by the inspired uh, recorder, Matthew, of the connections, uh, the fulfillment that's found in Christ. So a classic one would be in chapter two, where Jesus is um, delivered out of Egypt. 
called out of Egypt. He's the son. And that's quoting Hosea 11.1. 1. I know we talk about this a lot, but for good reason. Uh, in Hosea 11.1, 1, Israel is the son. Mm. And now Jesus is the son. And so there right in the text itself is an example of, of that we move from shadow to substance. Right. One is looking forward to the other. So read, if you read your Bible and, and, and you look for this, yeah, uh, you see it all over it's the everywhere. place. Yeah, so not just in Matthew's gospel account, but that's a good example. I also uh, kind of an obscure place to look, but I have a book here in my hand called "Understanding the Land of the Bible: A Biblical Theological Guide," and it is by O. Palmer Robertson. And I'm not even promoting the whole book, even though I think it's a good book. It's a fine book. But whenever we go to Israel uh, and I lead a group uh, going to Israel, I always have them read chapter 10, which is called Five Perspectives on the Land. And it's fascinating because in, a re in real short order, he talks about the different perspectives on the land, uh, Zionism, millennialism, as it would relate to Zionism and so on, the Holy Land perspective. Uh, he does a really good job of... of sorting through this in, you know, 10 pages or so. Hmm. And then a final uh, resource I would recommend that is a little challenging uh, when it comes to reading, in my opinion, for folks, for, so I've been told, is Meredith Klein's work, his classic work called Kingdom Prologue. And Kingdom Prologue is quite helpful in thinking through the types and shadows, substance belonging to Christ. He interacts and engages and critiques dispensationalism. And uh, it, it really is a, a helpful book. Uh, I think every, pa every pastor at least should read it. Uh, any kind of Bible teacher should read it to try to think through at least that perspective of things uh, that would not be, that would be Christ-centered in a good and thoughtful, legitimate sense. I think we're out of time and we need to say goodbye to our listeners and go say hello to our families. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part. Mm -hmm.